Hey everyone, welcome to the Cultivate Podcast with the Grove Church. Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and really glad that you are joining us. And if you've been with us for the last several episodes, we have been spending a pretty good amount of time uh, just talking through systematic theology, what we need to believe as Christians. And we've kind of just been talking about these categories of the things that are, you know, essentially essential that you have to believe in order to to become a Christian. And then the foundational truths that once you become a Christian, the foundational truths that you need to believe in order to really grow as a Christian. And then there's other categories too, things that are important to understand, to make sure you you know see different sides of it, kind of understand your perspective, and then things that are just simply interesting. And we spent the bulk of our time really talking about things in those bottom two categories, the things that are essential beliefs to being a Christian, things about the nature of Jesus, the nature of God, the nature of salvation. We've talked about things that are, you know, that are really, uh, you know, critical, critical for your understanding of how to grow as a Christian. And so we're going to be continuing that over the next couple of episodes. And today we're going to talk about uh, the creation story, because I th- I don't know if controversial is the right is the right word, but it certainly brings out a lot of strong, diverse opinions as you read the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2. And, you know, it becomes, you know, conversations about, you know, faith versus science, the Bible versus science, does the Bible contradict science? If they do contradict, which one wins? Does Bible win? Does science win? And and we have these these kinds of conversations, and some people resolve it by saying, "Oh, I mean, they're not even the same thing. I mean, just they they they, they don't they don't intersect at all." But obviously, they intersect. There are some pretty outlandish claims that the Bible makes that I'm sure that the um that that science would definitely tell us aren't true. And and I always like to start as we're talking about creation and our perspective about the way that um faith and science interact, we get to Genesis chapter one and two, and we think these things are just so preposterous that it would be ridiculous for a Christian to believe them. And I'm not going to try to be overly persuasive to make you take a super literal approach to Genesis one and two, but I think it is important for us just with this idea. I mean, I guess, Jacob, we're going to do it again. I'm going to promise a bunch of podcasts that are probably not ever really going to happen, but I think understanding... um, the um, the balance, kind of what a perspective is between um, science and uh, and our faith, is important because honestly, one of the one of the most crucial things that we believe is probably the most ludicrous one of them all is that Jesus, who was dead, dead, and dead, dead for three days, um, came back to life. He was not sort of dead. He was not resuscitated back to life. It wasn't like his. He'd done some really cool trick where his heartbeat got down to one beat per hundred or whatever. I mean, he was he was dead and he came back to life. And I tell people, it's like, man, if 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 you can swallow that, then the story of Jonah and the whale really is by comparison, you know, not that big of a deal. And so I think it is important for us to recognize just the idea. We talked about this earlier with our with our podcast talking about um, who God is. Is that one of the things that we believe about God is he's an all-powerful, and we'll just say a, a theistic God, if you'll recall, and we'll just say it this way today, an interventionist God, a God who has the ability to intervene in our universe in ways that are outside what we would consider the normal rules of the universe. And so all of that is a crazy long intro into our discussion today about the creation story. And the creation story is found in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and really it's kind of two stories together that are combined. 
one generally about how God created the universe, and the second one more specifically about the creation of the first two people, Adam and Eve. And I'm assuming at this point a measure of familiarity with those two stories. I, I, I do certainly do not plan on reading both of those chapters. If you don't have a lot of familiarity or you're you just like a refresh, I'd discourage you to hit pause maybe and just pull up your Bible app and and play. You know, if you're driving, you can you can have that guy talk to you and he can read Genesis chapter one and chapter two to you and then come back. But in Genesis chapter one, it starts very first one, verse one and two. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so our, our very intro into this book, our very intro into the Bible starts with in the beginning before anything else was, there was God. And what God did was he created everything. And what we would, you know, in the earth, everything it was formless. It was empty. There was darkness. And, and, and God brings order and life out of chaos and nothingness. And what we'll see over the course of what this passage in Genesis chapter one refers to as days, there are six days. And in those days, God creates different things. And there's lots of really cool things that we could do. I mean, it's, it's really cool. Like, you know, you know, in day, in day one, it says that God, God created light and, um, and then, um, in day, in day two, he separates, you know, he, he creates the sky and, and in day three, he creates water and one, two, three does that. And then four, five, six, there's this really cool balance where those things that he creates in day one, he fills with in, in day four, what he creates in day two, he fills in day five, what he creates in day three, fills in day six. It's just really cool. There's a lot of cool poetic imagery in that, and there's again, there's a lot of great sermons or podcasts that could be done out of Genesis chapter one, and the insights that we learn about who God is. But for our purposes in a systematic theology class, I think it's important as we read this and we see this story that says that God created everything in the universe in six days in this particular order. For systematic theology purposes, I think the question is, what is it really necessary for us to believe? Can I, can someone, and people want this, they want they want some sort of emotional or theological permission to be able to read those stories and go, that's really cool, fun, origin story kind of deal, but it's not really, it's not it's not true. It's not, it's not, it's not real. It doesn't matter that it's real. The purpose isn't real. People, people want that sort of permission. And, um, and other people obviously are very, you know, strict defenders of a very, you know, strict literal interpretation of what Genesis one says. So let's just kind of work through a couple of questions that I think that are important for us to understand as we are trying to formulate what our view of Genesis chapter one and chapter two is. And then, Ultimately, we'll kind of end it with what I think are the essential pieces that are necessary for us to believe about the story in order for our, you know, essentially our Christian theology to remain intact. And the first thing that I think that we need to understand is kind of the purpose of these stories in this particular book. And for us to do that, we need to understand who the original audience was for the book of Genesis. Genesis through Deuteronomy, make up what is called the Torah or the Pentateuch. And these these books were written um, in the time of Moses by Moses and Joshua. And they were essentially what they were meant to do 
is essentially to be a reintroduction of who God is to the Israelites as they are leaving Egypt. They'd been enslaved for 400 years, and no one who was there um, knows anybody who knows anybody who was alive at a time that they weren't slaves. The only people who are around, you know, the only people that they ever knew that were alive were their grandparents or whatever. Their grandparents didn't even know anybody. So they didn't even know anybody who knew anybody who had known anything other than Egyptian slavery. And so in the course of those 400 years, it is pretty, you know, pretty well understood that their thoughts of their thoughts and understandings about the character and the nature of God would have would have shifted for some people it probably evaporated completely and Moses showing up with God, with with God on his side to to come and 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 free them was great for them it was shocking for them but i'm sure many of them had the question who is this god and so these are kind of this intro into the story the intro into the story of who the jewish people are begins with an introduction into who God is. And so the primary purpose and the primary understanding of this is to understand this is who God is. God is a creator. God is creative. He is powerful. And we see that from the way that this story is told. It is a very creative story. It is a very powerful story. So this is a reintroduction into who God is. And I think that is most certainly um, a very important piece of theology for us as we think about what we believe as Christians. However, it is the methods you think God used. I think it's important for you to make sure that we all understand that God created this. This is all sourced from, from God. And so then we get into the question, well, 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 how did he create? And we have, we have this, we have this story here and without necessarily getting into the weeds of it too much, no matter what it is you believe, um, in, the, in the order that things were created, it is impossible for this to line up with what we have been taught or what is, what is known as kind of the theory of evolution. So the, 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 order just, the order just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. It just, it, just, it just doesn't add up. And so there are obviously some contradictions here between these beyond just that it only took God six days. It's beyond that. Beyond that, there's just some things in there that just that just don't work as far as you know what animals came first, and and so then we have to we have then now we we feel like we are we have this decision to make where am I going to how important is it to theology? How important is it to God? How important is it is to my faith that um, that I take this particular story literally. So, and so we'll, we'll, we'll put some different camps out there and, and then we can figure it out. One, obviously there are atheists who think, why are we even here at all? We're not really particularly concerned about that. And they believe in an atheistic, completely natural evolution. That's how the world came to be. And next from that, we will call more of a deistic evolution, a God who kind of set things in motion, a God who kind of lights the spark for the big bang. And then everything from then on out becomes a only by natural processes. Move a little bit further and you get what is referred to as theistic evolution. If you've been paying attention, you know that theist is about, and we've already, we've already referenced it today too, theist is about an, a God that is active in the universe. A theistic evolutionist would be someone who believes that evolution tells us the how, but 
this whole process has been guided by an interventionist God that the that the odds and the and the and the way that evolution plays out it is it is just so highly unlikely and that it obviously it 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 actually requires a supernatural force to be guiding it and so you have God coming together that God is overseeing all of this but um evolution as we understand it what science tells us um that explains the how and then we have people who basically say that you know that, that science is limited in what um the in 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 describing how creation came about you believe in an interventionist god and sometimes god is going to do things that are outside of what we would consider the rules of science and so what we have here is god doing this and so there's a group of people they refer to themselves as intelligent designers and they will typically incorporate a lot of things from science but ultimately believe in a God that created. And then beyond that, we have just like just pure creationists who just like, hey, I, I you know, hot, very literal creationists who look at this, everything that you see, you should take it super literally. It happened in six days. That's it. And and I don't I don't need science to tell me anything. And so obviously you have those five or six categories and they exist on a spectrum and everybody tries to plant themselves somewhere in there. And so we'll just kind of take a, a, a few of these issues and just try to figure out, again, this, this is perhaps more or more or less, I guess, depending on how, uh, anyways, um, I'm, this is, I'm not trying to necessarily persuade you to a very specific spot on that spectrum, but more than anything, I think I'm trying to encourage good thinking and make sure at a minimum we um, understand uh, what's kind of critical for us in our big picture Christian theology. So one question we'll ask, so what about this deal with six days? How important is it that it happened in six days? Is a day a day? And that just seems to be one of Christian, Christian v. science, Bible versus science, creation versus evolution kind of questions that people like to ask. And so I'm going to give you one idea that makes the idea of it being six days makes it really, really important. And then I'll give you another one that makes it seem like it would be very difficult to describe it as six days. The, the one that makes it really important, again, is to go back to the original audience, because one of the kind of the kickers of this creation story is what happens on the seventh day. And on the seventh day, God rests. He stops working. He stops and takes a rest and enjoys his creation. And that is put in there, and you will see it all throughout the Pentateuch, that is put in there to encourage the Israelites to also take a day of rest. For the last 400 years, all they have known is slavery. And what you, I don't know what you think about slavery, but what slavery looks like is you don't get rest days. Slavery is that your life is about work and doing and doing and doing and doing, and they have no concept of rest. And God is trying to instill in them this value of rest that you can work for six days, but on one day that you rest. And so this is used as essentially justification and kind of the foundation for the idea of Sabbath. God did this and sets the pattern for you. So in that sense, these things are are days. You don't we don't we don't think of them as, you know, you work for six units and then you rest for a unit. These these should be considered as they are thinking about their week and their and their Sabbath. They should think of that as this is in terms of you work for six days and then you take one day off. So that's a, certainly is important. Then the concept of day in this context meaning day. 
But again, you can say, well, I mean, bro, it's, it's, it's a poem. It's poetry, man. What are you even getting at? Again, and so I'll give you one more. So if in order for it to be a literal 24-hour day, and what we define as a 24-hour day is one, one, one rotation of, of the earth, you know, is, is a 24-hour period. It has to do with as the earth, the earth is spinning and, and it's, and it's, and you know, it's perspective with the sun. I mean, that's what, you know, we, we know what 24 hours is. That's what, that what makes a day. It's the, it's our sun cycle, right? It's what makes evening and night. And that's even the way I'd say there was evening and there was morning the second day. Okay. We know what, that's what a day is. But the problem is, is that the sun isn't created until the fourth day. And so if these were meant to be literal 24 hour solar days, then how is that possible in the first three days when the sun doesn't exist yet. So then what you've got God is for those first three days, you know, he, he speaks and these things come into existence. And then he just waits what is really unknown at that point, what 24 hours is, what a full solar day is. Um, and then he does that even though the sun doesn't exist yet. And so even there, there's, there's reason there to say at least, at least for the first three days that they are not 24 hour days. And honestly, with the genre of which this, you know, Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two are written, it really isn't that crucial um, because it is, it, it is written in, in, in poetic form. It, 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 it is poetry and, and poetry is going to have imagery and a lot of times is going to trade precision for some sort of beautiful wording, or like I said, the one, two, three is God creates these things, and then four, five, six, he fills these things. And it's not necessarily the order in which God created. It's just more of a poetic image. And so I, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I, I may have a particular opinion about it. Um, I don't think it is absolutely crucial that you look at this and say that there, the, it, creation only took six days. Because honestly, what is time to God? God speaks and this all happens and God exists outside of what we would call time. I mean, there's just so many deep metaphysical things to this, that this, this, from God's perspective, this all just happened as he spoke. And it really wasn't six days. And, 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 and from God's perspective, it was instantaneous. And from, from our perspective, did it take, you know, 144 hours for all of this to unfold. And so I really don't believe, and this is going to get to, I don't know if agnosticism is the right phrase here, but I say we're just going to get to, I think we have just placed way too much energy into, into that question. And, um, and so I, 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 I mean, you can send me an angry email if you like. I really don't think the literal six, the six days is as crucial an issue. And I don't think it really matters what position that you take on that. However, there are a couple of things to which I think it is important. And you go to Genesis chapter two, we've got the story of Adam and Eve. We've got the story of Adam and Eve where um, God creates man, then he creates woman, he sets them in the garden, and then they, they eat from the fruit that they're not supposed to. Sin comes into the world and they're cast out of the garden. Now, in fact, I believe that that is an incredibly important story. It's a story that Jesus references, at least the creation of male and female, I guess, which is technically in Genesis chapter one. Jesus references 
fact that God created male and female. He references um, Abel, um, Cain and I mean Adam and Eve's second son, Cain's younger brother. He references them as he, he references them as as real people, literal people that existed. So we see Jesus referencing these stories in in some ways to be historically true. And then in, in Romans chapter five, kind of this foundational piece of how sin enters the world and the importance of sin and what happens there. I mean, Paul makes this description in Romans chapter five about how through the one man, Adam, through what he did, that is how sin entered into the world. That there was a time when the world was without sin, sin enters the world, and now we have this sin problem. And so as people have tried to corner me in the past and say, Charlie, what do you, what do I have to believe? People are just kind of like, you know, it's like when you ask your professor, is this going to be on the test? I mean, like, do I have to turn this homework in? Like, what is the, what is the minimal amount of work or what is the minimal amount of belief that I think that one needs to have in order to, you know, reconcile these two things? Can I believe in evolution if I want to? It's like, I mean, I guess, I guess you can, but here's the thing that I think is absolute importance is that our creation, the creation of people is outside of any natural evolutionary process that, that Adam and Eve didn't have parents, that there was a sinless world that God created and sin and death, at least for people, entered the world through disobedience. And so whether or not God's creative process in bringing fish and birds and other land animals together involved um, generations of, of, of death and mutations, um, I have an opinion about that. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think that's necessary for God to have done that. I think, I think God could have created all of that. And, but I think it is absolutely essential that we recognize that, that the uniqueness of human creation, the thing that we would call soul, that we would call spirit of, of, of consciousness, awareness, these kinds of things, this, the created in the very image and likeness of God, these things, these, those are not the kinds of things that scientifically evolve, that God uniquely created people separate from the rest of his creation. I think that is a primary theme, Genesis to Revelation. I think it is essential to the story of sin. It's essential to our story. It's essential to the idea of why Jesus came to earth at all, why his sacrifice mattered, why we are in need of redemption in order to be restored um, into relationship with God. I think the Bible is very clear, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and again, all throughout of the uniqueness and the beauty of our connection of being created in the image of God, our special relationship with him and how sin as an initial act and as an ongoing problem um, has, you know, it's, it's, it's central. It's central to the story. And so some of you may think that I've taken a coward's way out. Some of you may wish that I'd said more, but you have to understand this is not the time for the seven part podcast on this. And I'm certainly not promising that. We could talk more about it, I'm sure, at some point in the future. But I just think it's important for us to at least spend some time thinking about some of these critical issues and making sure that as we are just kind of exploring some of the tensions that happen between science and what we believe in the Bible, that we don't throw everything out and we make sure that we understand 
at least this one crucial part of the story that people, and again, this specific, not just generally for people, but for you specifically, you are a unique creation of God created specifically in his image, a part of, but separate from creation. And because of the way that sin has entered our world and sin has entered our story, we are broken and in desperate need for the salvation and redemption that comes from Jesus Christ. So again, as always, you can shoot me some emails, charlie at thegrovechurch.org. If you have any questions or further thoughts about that, I hope it this can bring up some good discussions for those of you who are reading this together with other people. And again, I would always love to hear from you, any questions or follow-ups that you have. And we will be continuing um, to talk uh, some theology over the next few episodes. Continue to join us for that. And as always, we would love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can check us out at thegrovechurch.org, grovechurch.org slash connect. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. And if you are not local and you're not able to do that, we are streaming our 1030 service every Sunday. You could join us online and we would love to connect with you in that way. Either way, we would love to meet you and help you get connected better at the Grove Church. But again, uh, thanks for joining. I hope you have a great day.